I'd like to welcome you to our service today. Hope that you're having a great week and uh, looking forward to a wonderful time focusing on the Lord. I uh, just want to remind you that this morning we are uh, having the Lord's table. So if you are participating, please make sure that you pick up your elements uh, in the back during the first hymn. And I want to make you aware of a couple of announcements before Pastor Josh opens with our scripture reading. Uh, first of all, we have a Sportsman's Banquet on the 10th, and I believe that we are leaving at 3.30. Is that correct, Pastor Josh? I think it's 3.30. Um, so please, if you are planning to go to that uh, and you have your tickets secured and you're going to ride with the van, please let us know. That way we don't leave without you. Um, also, on the 13th of February is our week that we go to the Baltimore Rescue Mission. We leave at 6.30. So if you're going to join us for that, please let us know so that we can uh, make sure that you get on the van. Uh, senior luncheon is the 15th. That will be that same Thursday. And then our next college and career activity will be on uh, the 16th. And it's going to be hosted at our house. Um, so please do... Uh, make plans for that if you're in that age group. And then also we have our men's breakfast on the 17th. So a lot of things going on. Please mark your calendars with these um, activities. And uh, we're looking forward to them. Pastor Josh has our opening scripture. And I just want to throw in a quick reminder as well. We uh, went to a teen activity yesterday and Rand Hummel was there. And he was really encouraging the teens to think about summer camp, obviously, as the former director of the Wilds of New England. And uh, one thing that can help, if you like to save money, and I highly recommend you send your teens to camp, register them before March 1st. If you can get the registrations in, you save money, and then they can start a uh, 419 scholarship, which I think can take another $50 off if they do their homework, which is basically reading and studying through the Bible, which we should be doing anyways. And so I want to encourage parents of teens to get the registrations in. I already have some, but I'd like to get them in to help save you money. And I'm biased. I think every teenager ought to go to summer camp. All right, so that's my two cents there. We're going to be looking at Psalm 36 for our opening scripture, starting with verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flattereth himself with his own eyes, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed, and setteth himself in the way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. Our theme for worship today, let's reflect on God's goodness and flee to him in hardship. Let's bow together for prayer, please. Ask the Lord to bless our service. <clears throat> Father, we're so grateful for your word as it will be opened this morning. And I pray that as we reflect on this psalm, Psalm 36, that we would have hearts that are ready to receive the word. I pray that as we reflect on these truths, that you would encourage us and strengthen us, uh, help us to thrive in a world that is full of so much trouble and heartache. Father, as we participate in the Lord's table and as we take these elements and we reflect on 
the body of Christ that was broken and his blood that was shed. I pray that our hearts would be warmed with great thankfulness and humility as we think about what Jesus has done for us. And Father, I pray that you'll be with those who cannot be with us today. I know several folks are sick and have traveled. I pray that you will um, uplift them and help them to be back in good health very, very soon. Father, I pray that you would be with those who've joined us on the live stream, that you would use this service to be an encouragement to them. And we ask for your blessing on this time, and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us for worship here at Anchor Baptist Church. Please stand with me. Open your hymn books to hymn number 81. We're going to sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Hymn number 81, we'll sing all four verses. A mighty fortress is our God. Craft and power are great and armed 
singing. Please be seated as we turn back to hymn number six. Hymn number six. I sing the mighty power of God. All three verses. Thirty-six, three hundred thirty-six. My hope is in the Lord. We'll sing all four verses.
our scripture reading will be found in the Psalms. We'll be reading Psalm number 36. Psalm number 36, we'll be reading verses 7 through 12. Psalm 36, 7 through 12. The scriptures say, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. going to continue our singing. Let's all stand. Number 524 will sing Saved by the Blood. We'll be singing three verses. We'll sing the first verse, and then on that second verse, we'll give you an opportunity to greet one another, and then we'll come back together and sing that last verse together. Saved by the Blood of the Crucified One.
Great singing. Our last song before the sermon will be I Run to Christ. It'll be number 151 in our blue book. The words will be on the screen. We'll sing all three verses and we'll have the instruments drop out on the last verse. We'll sing that one a cappella out to the Lord. I Run to Christ, all three verses. Thank you. 
Well, as our children are being dismissed to the back for junior church, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and let's all turn together to Psalm 36. And we are dealing with a text of Scripture that I think will be very, very encouraging and helpful to each of us this morning. I'm going to read the text. We're going to bow together for prayer. Then we're going to jump right into it. And then as we work our way through this passage of Scripture, we're going to move our way to the cross and to what Christ has done for us. Because that is where our greatest comfort and all of life lies the fact that our Savior went to the cross, he died, he was buried, and he rose triumphant from the grave. And because of his sacrifice, and his righteousness, and his resurrection, we stand forgiven and cleansed and declared righteous in Jesus. Psalm 36, this is to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments 
are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me. Let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. Please let's bow together for a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to help us to understand the weight of these truths and how they apply to us as we sit here this morning. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. This wonderful psalm that was written by David for the chief musician. And I pray that as we think about the words that we find in this text, that we would understand how precious they are, how instructive they are, and how this is what we desperately need to live in the light of this morning. I pray that we would think about the times that we live in with a biblical worldview. And that as we function in this world that is very broken and troubled, that we would thrive. That we would be a people who experience your richest blessings because we are resting in you. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Passage in front of us is a great text. I guess I could say that about any text in the Bible, right? But what I really love about this text of scripture is how truly practical it is for us as we sit here today. Think about the fact that this text of scripture was written many, many thousands of years ago in a culture that is so, diff- so different than the one that we live in today. It was written in a different language than we speak today. The things that you and I know when it comes to uh, science, he talks about the great deeps and he talks about the great mountains. He didn't know what Mount Everest looked like. He didn't know about the Challenger Deep and that deep portion of the ocean that uh, is so deep that if you took Mount Everest, you put it in the ocean, there'd be another, another mile to go before you even got to the peak. He didn't know about those things. But as David writes these words, he writes something that is so practical and it's something that right now we need it. And so as I, as I think about the text in front of us, I'll summarize it this way. Though this world is full of evil, God's people can find stability and protection and rest Under the shelter of God's wings. I'll read it again. Though this world is full of evil, God's people can find stability, protection, and rest under the shelter of his wings. And you know, so many of the songs that we've sung this morning, they really point to that very concept. For instance, the first song we sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says, and though this world with devils filled would threaten to endure us, we will not fear For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Isn't that an amazing statement? That really is captured in Psalm 36. Or we think about the last song we just sang. I run to Christ when torn by grief. And goes on and he talks about how we flee to Christ. Because this world is full of trouble and difficulty. And the trouble is not just the trouble that's around us. It's the trouble even in our own souls. Well, God wants us to flee to him. 
and to find rest in his tender care. And that's what this psalm is all about. So the first thing I want us to do is I want us to kind of think about the times we live in today. And you say, well, I didn't come to church because I want to talk about politics. I didn't come to church because I want to think about what's going on in our culture. But here is the bottom line simple thing. If you have a phone and you check the news and you get on social media or you watch the news or whatever, your mind is constantly filled with concern about the time we live in. And if you got that phone sitting next to you and it's not on, uh, you know, do not disturb, you're probably getting notifications even right now. Thankfully, I don't have my phone on me, so I don't know about those things. But here's the truth. You and I can't seem to flee from what's going on around us. This is a troubling time. I mean, when you look at the history of our nation and you think about where we are today and where we were, say, 100 years ago, these are really troubling times. Think about where the country was 150 years ago, or maybe 160 years ago. We're not there. We're not in the Civil War. But the simple fact is, these are tumultuous times. There's a lot that is constantly grabbing at our minds. Every time that phone buzzes and I I look at that notification, I go, oh, that again. (laughs) I don't even want to think about this. Well, then put the phone away. But it doesn't change the fact that that's the world we live in. And there are four responses I think are very natural. One is anger. Anybody ever felt that one this week? You you read something on the news, you watched something, you got a little angry. (laughs) Okay, I see that hand back there. At least somebody here is being honest about that. I felt that a little bit myself. Or how about fear? You go, man, what's the economy going to do in the next 12 months? What's this country going to look like after this next election? How about frustration? Feel like you just want to, oh, that, that hand is going up in the back. You feel this frustration. Anybody feel like rebelling a little bit? <laughs> hey, you know, there's nothing unnatural about those responses at all. Anger, fear, frustration, rebellion. That is the most common way that people respond to tumultuous times. But let me give you a couple responses that are very different. Confidence. Anybody felt that one this week? Strengthened resolve. Contentment. Focus. Rest in your heart. You say, Pastor Joel, the only way that I could feel those things is if I could just turn off everything going on around me and I could move out to this faraway place where all I saw was mountains and wilderness and it's like I forgot what was going on around me. Well, do you realize that not only can the Christian live with confidence and strength and resolve and contentment and focus, that's what God wants us to have. That's the way he wants us to live in this world. It's possible, but the question is how? How do we live in that kind of a way? And I will tell you, it's not by changing the circumstances that we're living in because nobody in this room has the power to do that. You do not have the power to just flip a switch and change everything that's going on in society in the same way that there's never been a generation of people that had the ability to do that. You know, history goes through cycles and there are times that things are going great and they're booming and then there are things that time that things fall off a cliff and there are hardships and difficulties and then there's rebuilding seasons and this has been the story of humanity throughout history. But through every single generation of people, there have been believers who have been able to thrive in spite of everything that's going on around them. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to live in that kind of a way. So the first thing I want us to notice this morning is that the wicked 
refused to consider the implications of God's character. And as David writes these words, he's writing something that is just as true today as it was the day he wrote it. And it was just as true a thousand years before he wrote it. And it'll be just as true until the day that Jesus comes back. Listen to what he says. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart. David is reflecting on what he sees in society. And by the way, David was a king. So David saw the best of the best. He saw the worst of the worst. He felt the weight and the pressure of protecting the people that God had put under his care. He knew about legal disputes. He knew about everything that was going on. He had a very unique perspective as someone who had this authority. He says, as I reflect on the sin of the wicked, this is what I see. He says, there's no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself with his own eyes until iniquity is found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief on his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. When David looked at the world that he lived in, he said, that's the way people live. And it's true. It's absolutely true. And you can find the evidence of this every single place you look. When you do not see these things, it is a testimony to the gracious work of God and people who were once formerly like this and God has rescued them and he saved them, but they still battle with these things even as they stand as a redeemed people. This world is full of all kinds of evil. It's full of people who do not make decisions with a healthy reverence for God. A lot of Christians don't make their decisions with a healthy reverence, reverence for God. No fear of God before his eyes. They don't think, you know, if I do this, I'm going to answer to God for this. If I say this, then there's going to be some kind of consequence. There is a God who is sovereign and he rules and I'm answerable to him. And that's going to keep in check what I do. Lots and lots of people live as if that's not true. They don't believe it at all. In verse 2, these people justify their actions by in-house comparison. The way he puts it is, he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. He looks at the people around him. He says, you know, I'm not like him. I'm not like her. I don't do the things that they do. I don't think the same way that they think. I'm not as bad as they are. Some people used to read the uh, newspaper, not just so that they could know the news, but they could know, I'm glad I'm not like that person who's now going to prison or that person who, who violated the law and this is going to be their consequence. He's asked the way that the world lives. They flatter themselves. They puff themselves up by saying, at least I'm not like that person. In verse 3, it's dishonest and unwise and fails to do good. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He has left off to be wise. And to do good. You ever listen to someone talk? And as you listen to it, you know what they're saying isn't true. You know verifiably what they're saying is not true. And they can look you in the eye or they can look that camera in the eye and they can speak what you know to be a lie and they can do it without flinching and they can do it without any sense that maybe they're lying and you're just like stunned. You're like, how in the world does this person do that? This world is full of people like that. Full of people. From the time they're little kids all the way up to where they are today, they have learned how to be dishonest on every single level. 
And David looks at this. You know, you know what David's doing? He's lamenting that this is the way the world is. The world continually thinks about evil plans. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. When something's really on your mind, you can't shake it even when you lie down. I give this illustration. When I was in high school, I remember I started wrestling in the 11th grade. Maybe I should have started when I was in like the 8th grade or the 7th grade. Because 11th grade, you know, you're, you're kind of like, you really get beat up at that stage. And I remember the very first match that I, that I competed in. We went to this school. It was in Alabama. It was in Mobile, Alabama. I'm all excited. It's my first ever match. And I get out there and I lock up with this guy. And the next thing I know, I'm looking at the lights. Because I'm on my back. And I'm bridging back and I'm doing everything I can for a minute and 20 seconds. Let me tell you, that two-minute period is really a long time to be on your back. <sighs> Second period. End up on my feet again. Guess what? Same thing. Guess what I was thinking about while I was laying in bed that night? I was thinking about how to not end up in that position later on in the season. And I just thought about all these different things. It was consuming me. Or like, you know, you're playing a game like chess with your kid and they beat you. And you're like trying to figure out how it's not going to happen again. Not that that's ever happened to me. <laughs> so, there are people that when they lay in bed, all I can think about is evil. Kind of scary to think about. Especially if they're going to do something bad to you. David's lamenting. Verse 4. The world is established in evil patterns. Verse 4, he setteth himself in a way that is not good. There's some people that they are slaves to passion. And they get up every day and they do the same thing. And they wish they didn't do it. And if you told them, is this good or bad? They say, it's bad. And, they, and if you ask them, do you think you should stop doing it? They say, absolutely, I should. And they keep doing it. Why is that? Because they set themselves in a way that's not good. David looks at this and he laments. And then... It relishes evil when it should hate it. In verse 4 it says, He abhorreth not evil. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, it talks about people who not only do these things, but have pleasure in them. Literally, they celebrate what God says is evil. Now, why does David take the time to, to say these things? It's because it's bothering him. It's what he's looking at. He looks at this and he says, this is the world I live in. And you and I do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. And the question is, well, how does God deal with this? Well, one of the things that I'll mention is that God chooses to preserve us through these evils rather than to insulate us from them. If God wanted to, when you got saved, he could have just plucked you out of the world. Said, it's time to go to heaven. That's not what he did. He leaves us in the world because he wants us to be salt and light in this decaying world. This world that is full of darkness. He wants us to function in a way that draws people to himself. And establishes a testimony to what God is like. He leaves us here. In John 17 verse 14, Jesus says this. I've given them thy word and the world hath hated them. Because they're not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. And right there you and I would be saying, why not? <laughs> Just take us out of the world. We don't want to deal with this nonsense. He says, even as I am in the world, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil that thou hast sent me into the world. Even so have I sent them into the world. Basically what Jesus is saying is in the same way that I have a purpose to function in, in this world, 
I leave my people here too. Their function's different than mine. He is redeeming mankind to himself. He leaves us here to establish a pattern to point people back to Christ. And so we have to learn to endure. We have to learn to live in this kind of world. It's not a Christian mindset to say, I just want to get out of here. A Christian mindset is, God, as long as you want me here, I'm going to function the way I'm supposed to. I'm going to process this the way I'm supposed to. Well, then how do we do this? Well, thankfully, this psalm tells us. It tells us because we see how when David is looking at the stuff around him, how he's lamenting and how it's frustrating and how he just talks about it the same way that you and I do, his mind goes to some other place. It goes back to the righteousness of God and his goodness. Second truth is that the righteous understand that God is good. In verses 5 through 7, he says, Thy mercy, great word, isn't it? Mercy. O Lord is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness, great word, reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. We must learn to live in this world as long as God has kept us here. We should not be escapist in our mindset. Christians have the, the building blocks to endure in this kind of a world. The world doesn't have that, but we do. Now, those building blocks are not something that are just a part of our DNA and they're a part of our fabric. And well, we're just stronger than the average person because we're a Christian. That's, that's not it at all. We have tools that God gives us that enable us to endure to overcome, to persevere, to be faithful. That's what God does. In fact, God calls his people in many places overcomers. You ever heard that word, overcomers? I remember when I was in high school, we had the overcomers class. It was all the people over 60. <laughs> oh, 70. Okay, 80. My bad, my bad. No, it was actually, I think it was over 55. <laughs> the overcomers class. That word overcome has the idea that there's some enduring aspects to living in this world. I deal with hard stuff. You deal with hard stuff. But in spite of the difficulty, we overcome those things. We endure. That's the sense. In Revelation 21, 7, it says this. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my people. You know, when you look at the book of Revelation, that word overcome is used over and over and over and over again in the book. The reason is to emphasize that people who live in this world are enduring and seeing him is invisible. 1 John 5, 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. If you say, well, who's the overcomer? Well, there it is. The person that's trusted Christ. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Is that you? Well, then you're an overcomer. You say, I don't feel like it. Well, positionally you are. You should live like it's true. God's given you all the tools that you need to endure and overcome. How do we do this? Enduring under hardship is a common Christian experience in every generation. I love Psalm 12.1 because it really expresses this well. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. The faithful fail from amongst the children of men. That was not written yesterday. That was written thousands of years ago. 
Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped. I was envious at the foolish. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. The words of Asaph, written thousands of years ago. Revelation 6.10, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Christians, throughout all of history, have felt the same pressures we feel today. Circumstances were different, but on the basic level, on the principal level, no different. And so this is how David endured. He reminded himself about God. And notice what he reminded himself about God. The first thing is that he's full of mercy. Now, that word mercy has the idea that when I look at somebody who's in a really bad position, rather than me going, I bet they deserve to be there, which might be true about a lot of us, okay? Instead, I look at them and I go, man, I hate to see you in that position. My heart's moved with compassion towards them in their lowly estate. That's the idea. So when God looks at people who are struggling, like you and I sometimes are, his heart is full of mercy, compassion. He says, thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. In verse 5, he says that he is faithful. He says that thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. I love that word faithful because it has the idea that somebody has made a commitment and they have the character to make sure that they follow through with the commitment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll be over to your house at such and such a time and I'll do this and then you don't see them. You're like, what's going on? I, I thought we were going to get together. <laughs> I thought you said you were going to cut my grass. I thought you said you were going to sweep my lawn or sweep, sweep my driveway for me when all the snow came. Well, you know, things came up, didn't have time. Blah, blah, blah. Faithfulness is... Y'all be there at five. Look at that. Five o'clock. I'm right there. Working and getting it done. God's faithful. He has committed himself through the promises that he makes. And the most basic of those promises is that he saves us. He saves us because of what Christ has done for us. And so he says, your faithfulness reaches under the clouds. You walk out on a really, really sunny day. Don't look at the sun, turn your back to the sun, look up into the sky, and the, the clouds just keep going, and they keep going, and they keep going. He said, God's faithfulness is like that. There's no end to it. He says his, he is righteous, verse 6. He says, thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when I think about Israel, I think about desert everywhere. It's because I've never been there. But if you go to the northern parts of of Israel, when you look up to the north, guess what you see? You see these massive mountains. Mount Hermon. Snow-capped right now, nonetheless. Full of snow. And so David's thinking in those terms. I look at these, these majestic mountains. I say, God's righteousness is like that. He makes deep judgments. Verse 6, he says, thy judgments are a great deep. I mentioned this earlier. You, know, you go out into the ocean, you look out across the expanse of the ocean. Do you realize that the average depth of the ocean, I ask a kid here, what is it? 12,000 feet. The average depth of the ocean, 12,000 feet. You know how deep the deepest part of the ocean is? It's over 35,000 feet. 
Like when you get up in your airplane and you're flying, 35,000 feet's like that cruising level, right? Something like that. So if you took Mount Everest, you put it down in that lowest part of the ocean, you'd have another mile to go. What is David communicating? He's saying, God, the judgments that you make, they're so deep, I can never fully get to the bottom of them. That's what he's saying. In verse 6, it says that he preserves his creation, thou preservest man and beast. So this God who is merciful and is faithful and he is righteous and his judgments are beyond my full comprehension, he preserves people. Like he preserves people in the midst of all kinds of challenges and difficulties. In verse 7, he says, how excellent is thy loving kindness. And that word loving kindness has a covenantal aspect to it. The idea is that God has committed himself and he deeply loves us and he is kind to us and he cares for us and he brings us to himself because there is relationship. So when David is troubled, he doesn't stick his head in the sand and say, all that stuff that I was thinking about before, it's not there anymore. He says, it's there. But there's something else I'm going to focus my attention on. You know what that is? That's the God that I serve. That's the God who upholds me. It's the God who preserves me. It's the God who strengthens me. It's the God who made me. And so truth number three, the the righteous flee to him in trouble. And the reason is because they know him. You know, a lot of people run from God in time of trouble. (laughs) And the reason is because their view of God is that somehow he is a cruel dictator who wants to wreck their lives. That's not what we find in the Bible. We kind of get like Jonah. He says, go to Nineveh. Like, where's Tarsus again? (laughs) I'm going that way. He says in verse 7, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. These truths about God and his ways compel us to flee to him for stability and protection. There's three words I want you to think about here. The first is the word conviction now when we think of conviction we think of like I feel guilty inside and you know what that is a type of conviction in the sense that I've done wrong I know it's wrong and I don't feel good about it but that's not what I mean by the word conviction here what I mean is that I am convinced that this is true and I am convinced that I need to do this that word therefore means because I'm convinced of what God is like I run to him I run to him. One of the most important things that you and I have in all of life is how we view God. Either we run from him or we run to him when trouble comes. And so he's showing that there's this logical connection between what he is reflecting on about God and trusting in him for care. The second word I want you to remember is stability. The word uh, trust in verse 7 has the idea that I am planting my feet on something that is solid. It's sound. Now, I think about this a couple weeks ago before it got really warm, we had an ice rink. And I remember, I was trying to figure out how thick is this ice, all right? And there's a couple ways you could do it. Of course, you know, the not smart way is the way that I do it, right? I'm going to like step out on it and go, boom, you go right through. Well, I guess I'll have to wait a couple more days for that to get solid. I mean, it's only, you know, four inches or whatever. But when I step out on that, I just kind of put a little bit of weight there. Here, it's creaking. Oh, better step back. That's not the way we should trust God. 
We know who he is. And we just rest in him. Solid, stable. That's the way we should trust God. Our lives can have stability because they're built on a stable rock. Everything that's going on around us, we can't control it. We can't stop certain things. But we can stand on the one who is stable. And the third word is the word shelter. And verse 7, he says, it's under the shelter or under the shadow of thy wings. Now that, that little statement, shadow of wings, is something, if you, if you, you know, search this out in, in, the, in the Bible, you're going to find that that term is used in quite a few places. In fact, one of the most prominent ones is one that you should be familiar with because we just talked about it on Sunday night. Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, it says, The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward to give given unto thee of the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. You know who said that? Boaz. You know who he said it to? He said it to Ruth. Do you know why he said it? He said it because here's this woman who is an idolater from Moab, and she came to Israel not just because she was committed to being with Naomi, but it's because she believed in Israel's God. And so when she came to Israel, she came under the shadow of the wings of the Lord. In other words, she was coming to be a part of God's people. She was entering into this community that was in relationship to God. And so this statement, under the shadow of thy wings, is a very covenantal picture where people are literally coming to God and they're coming under his care and under his closeness and his protection. Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful, for my soul trusteth in thee. In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be passed. That's a great verse. Psalm 91, verse 4. I remember preaching on this uh, before we closed for COVID a couple years ago. Psalm 91. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Now, what do these verses communicate? They're communicating that when I know God, I run to God. And when I run to God, I'm running to him so that he protects me. And so that is what the psalmist is saying here. But there's more to it than that. Because what we see, fourthly, is that the righteous can thrive despite the chaos now, there are a lot of people that say, well, I, you know, I'm going to just survive this world. I'm going to hold on for dear life. And when God takes me, takes me. And I'll be so glad when that happens. But that's not really the way God wants us to live in this world. He wants us to thrive. You say, well, that's impossible. That's not true. Indeed, it's possible. Listen to what he says in verses 8 and following. He says, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. Thou shalt make them drink of the rivers of thy pleasure. With thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They're cast down and shall not be able to rise. Notice how he describes those who trust under the shadow of his wings. Verse 8, there shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. I think what we need to picture in our minds uh, with a statement like that is what we read about when we read the story of the prodigal son. I mean, just think about this for a minute. 
Here's this boy. He's disrespected his father. He's gone and wasted everything that his dad gave him. He goes to the far country. He nearly dies. He's starving in a pig pen, eating the husk that even the pigs won't eat. And he comes to his senses and he says, I should go back to my dad and say, Dad, can I be a servant in your house? At least I won't starve. And when his dad sees him, what does he do? He runs to him. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. Dad's running to his son. <laughs> and now as he runs to his son, he hugs him. And he kisses him. And before his son can say anything, he says, you don't have any shoes. Hey, get him some shoes. Get him some good shoes. Get him a robe. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a banquet. And here's this boy who was starving in the far country. And now he's enjoying the fatness of his father's house. That's what he's talking about. Not an amazing picture. Or in verse 8, he says, Thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. You ever been in a hot, hot, hot day? You're working. I remember working on the roof. You get up on that roof and you don't, you don't eat anything for hours and hours and hours. And you come down and you got this, this ice jug that's now a water jug. <laughs> and you just drink that water and you're just like, Oh, I needed that so much. He says, God's like that. This river of pleasure that comes from God. Verse 9, with thee is the fountain of life. I remember when we were on deputation, we traveled all the way to California. I know California is kind of a weird place, but it's a beautiful place. It's a really, really pretty place. Even Arizona where it's a desert, really pretty. And I remember we're driving through and it's like desert, desert, desert. And then there's like this cornfields for miles. And I'm like, what? Cornfields for miles. And you're driving, you just see cornfields and you see all these, all these fruit trees and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, how in the world does this stuff grow in the desert? And there are these, these canals that come off of the Colorado River. And the water is clear and it's cold. And basically what happens is these farmers have a set amount of time at certain times of the day. And they basically, they, they flood the field. I don't mean they just like let the water come gushing out it just begins to progressively saturate into the soil and it's they actually grade it so that it runs at a certain rate and it seeps into the soil and they do this on a regular basis and because they do that there's incredible produce growing in these places now the the desert's still there folks (laughs) it's still hot it's still dry but those fields are thriving say how is that it's because of the water it's because of the nutrients that they put in the fields and folks that's how we're supposed to live in this world it's a desert out there but we as God's people we have the fountain of life we can rush to him and be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of his house in verse 9 he says in thy light shall we see light the closer I get to God the more I'm going to understand this world and myself and him. And so he describes these people in a way that is, it's a prosperous kind of a life. Here's his point. Despite all the troubles, believers can still thrive. In verse 11 of Psalm 16, he says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1-3, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, Bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is the way God designed us to live the Christian life. 
We can richly enjoy him in this life. We can live vibrant, productive lives. We can continually grow in communion with God, even though there's a lot of garbage going on in the world around us. But he does not walk away from the passage without giving us a little bit of a balance. Verse 11, this is still a messy world. He says, do not let the foot of pride come against me. Let not the hand of the wicked remember. You know what that tells me? You can thrive, but there's still messies out there. There's still troubles out there. And our ability to endure and thrive always goes back to God himself. It goes back to what we have in the gospel. You say, well, how do you put this all together? What can we take away from this? Let me give you these final thoughts. Christians need to be realists. We should have a biblical view of humanity. People are sinners and we are vulnerable. We should have a biblical view of this world. It's a fallen world. It's full of troubles and it's in fact a very messy world. We should have a biblical view of this present age. It's preparing us for glory. We should have a biblical view of God. He is sovereign and uses all things in our lives to accomplish good. That's a realistic viewpoint. That's not bury your head in the sand and pretend like everything's a fairy tale. No, that's not what that is. That's truth. That's the way the the world really is. There is this tension that we live with. And so as God's people, we should be consistent. We affirm that the gospel has saved us, so let's live like we believe we're saved. We affirm that the spirit of God is building us up into spiritual maturity, so let's embrace what God is doing in our lives. We affirm that this world is temporary, so let's live in this world as if, well, we're just passing through. We affirm that God is good, wise, and all-powerful, so let's trust him and trust how he governs our lives. We as Christians need to live in this way. And if we do, we can be a thriving people. Let's reflect on what really is the heart of all this, and that is the gospel. So as we bow our hearts together in prayer, let's prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's table. If you understand the gospel, you've placed your faith in Christ, you're his child, you understand what he's done for you, then this should be one of the most glorious moments of your week. It should be a time where you sit down and you say, God, had it not been for the broken body and the shed blood, I'd be separated from you. I'd be stumbling in the darkness. I would be under wrath. But because Christ went to that cross, he was nailed to that cross, he died for my sins, he rose from the dead because his righteousness has been imputed to me. I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, I'm alive in Christ. I'm living with this anticipation of the day that I stand before you in glory. And my life matters. Things that I do matter. I'm growing into Christ's likeness. And so we have this sense of reflection, joy and humility that's what we should be experiencing as we reflect on the sacrifice of christ please let's bow our hearts together in prayer and ask the lord to help us to think in this way our father as we open up our bibles and we remind ourselves of what took place on that day before christ was betrayed and then crucified as we think about his body broken his blood shed I pray that our hearts would be warmed with gratitude. That our hearts would be softened with humility.
that our hearts would be strengthened with resolve that we would live like the people that we are. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in our midst that does not understand the gospel, has never turned to Christ and placed their faith in Christ, as, as believers reflect on the work of Christ, I pray that they would think about the work that they need to embrace. I pray that you use this time to strengthen us as your people. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.